I'm Commander Ship, and this is my favorite podcast on the internet. Welcome to the Active Topical Banter Show, RP Gamers Editorial Roundtable Podcast. I am Scott Walker, and joining me tonight are my co-hosts, introducing themselves in no particular order. My name is Angry Laharl, aka Sam. <laughs> my name is Trent, and there always is a particular order. <laughs> That's true. No matter what we say, we always go in the same order. So... I don't even know why I'm going to introduce myself, because you should know who I am if you've been following. Every episode am... is someone's first, Michael. Every episode is someone's first. I am Michael Cunningham of RPGamer.com, fame and fortune, and apparently also part of RPG fan, but that's beside the point, even though I'm not actually... Um, well, I still we... get emails for them, so aren't I'm going to say that... Aren't we all part of RPG fan? We're all... No. Let's announce, We're a, all... let's announce a merger. <laughs> but, uh, first, let's John have, would love that. No, let's merge, but first we'll have a three-month-long, uh, confusing crossover event and cancel about half of us. Deal. I like it. All right. So, yeah. Hi. <laughs> so, our, our topic for the evening is Kickstarter in the RPG sphere and what we think is good, what we think is bad, and what we think is ugly. Because it's the internet, so ugly, always there. So I think my first big talking point is that, um, so people don't necessarily have a good grip on what a video game costs to make, and which parts cost what. The answer is people. That costs most. It's almost all the costs. Don't listen. It's, it's not marketing. It's people. And, um... There's a certain point where numbers just get so big they stop meaning anything. Like, you know, $50 million to, say, make Shenmue 1. Um, you know, I, I understand that that buys me 50 condos in Toronto and that I will never have that much money or that many condos. But it's still, like, $50 million and $100 million don't really mean anything to me. It, it's just a scale that doesn't work for people in most cases. Well, and it's the same for the developers, which is kind of hilarious, because well, sometimes they don't even know how much they really need to make something. Um, Tim Schafer, I'm looking at you. Well, okay. That, well, that, that's, a, that's a kettle of fish we're going to boil in a minute. But I think Kickstarter aggravates this issue, because you obviously have uh, things like Shenmue 3 and uh, Iga's Kickstarter for Blood's... Blood splatter rondo of recycled sprites. <laughs> Don't say that to Trent; it hurts his feelings. Yeah, that's that's really not cool. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just I can never remember the title, and I'm still annoyed that they kept using Symphony and the Night Sprites forever. Um, but just and, just think of it this way: Bloodstained Ritual of the Night also could be. Never mind. I'm not going to go there. But that's how I heard it explained on one podcast. Okay. Is what's a ritual of the night that could cause something to be bloodstained? Think of that. <laughs> You'll remember it from now on. And it's Ega's first Kickstarter. And <laughs> oh, it's the first Kickstarter man. a lot of people are backing. That's you not just, my... It's not you mine. You just had to ruin it for me. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? Okay. <laughs> but aside from... Okay. Getting back to those tracks I was laying... Um, <laughs> Those were made with uh, other financial backers, and uh, the Kickstarter was uh, functionally a promotional and proof of concept, whereas, say, there's a lot of indie, smaller indie games where 
no one is getting paid because they're um you know just getting the money they need to get it out there and working live from month to month <laughs> yeah and just like money to eat on and to have a house oh, or a barely, home to stay in or something barely even that like i can state for a fact that unrest a game that um, a couple of us really liked and was funded by kickstarter entirely uh only one person was paying rent with that kickstarter uh everyone else was earning a contract rate and had to work part-time jobs in other places in fact other places that were not even related to their field of expertise the lead writer on the game was in the garden center at a home depot for the entire product dev cycle of that game hmm. Because he couldn't take a writing job without having a conflict of interest with it, and he ah uh, see see that was that was a labor of love, and you know what? God bless the guys who were doing that. I mean, Tale of Tales shut down this month. They made indie games on the Kickstarter. I never got to see Barkley too. Oh well. And that was a Kickstarted game. But th there we go. Is my my first thing is people don't understand big numbers and money, and Kickstarter isn't helping. And I think some of that, some of that's just reporting, like people just trying to explain that, you know, it, we're, we're, that we're not buying, that this isn't paying our rent, this is buying tools we need, or, yeah. no, this is, we have the tools, I would like to have, a, this is my salary while I make this. I was just going to say that, like, in an, an ideal world, we would have a perfect breakdown of what percentages of whatever is donated is going to go to what, whether it's going to platforms or utilities or, or personal costs or, or time spent by contractors. It, ideally, we would have that breakdown. And in cases and there where are there are guys who do disclose that. And, and, and there, there are some, that. there are some, but again, like it, it's the difference between being, a donator to a cause and being an investor. There's no due diligent process to anyone donating. They don't owe us that documentation. It would be better, it would be more ethical if they did communicate those kind of details. But really, we just have to operate in good faith in the same sense that they are presenting these campaigns in the good faith that they will deliver these projects to us someday. Well, and that's just it, Trent. You're absolutely right. There's, there's, no, there's no stakehold in a Kickstarter project, as much as people want to believe that there is. Well, there's a definite, like, the the, the whole setup of Kickstarter is creating an emotion. Well, it's creating an emotional stakehold, even if there's no real financial one beyond this loose contract of, hey, I've put in this backer level, give me my backer reward. No, no. I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that I buy that. Like, you can't really say that there's an emotional stakehold. That's that's too intangible. Like, the, the reality is we, we're operating in a free market, and that even applies to these crowdfunding methodologies as well. The market defines what things are going to move forward in terms of campaigns and projects. And sometimes the people who are participating in that market don't get what they deserve, or even if something is successfully funded, it's never delivered upon. And that's just the risk that's involved. Well, and I think there there's a risks and challenges section on every front page of Kickstarter. And it's, well, buried, at the, and it's <laughs> buried at the bottom, and I think... No, People no, but, but the reality... describe those accurately. The, the reality is... Even if people list the risks, like maybe we won't be able to attain this IP, maybe we're not going to have enough time to implement all the features we want, maybe this, maybe that, that's kind of a promotional 
risk and challenges region that a lot of the Kickstarters have on their campaign page. But the reality of Kickstarter as a platform is that the biggest risk is you're going to give your money, the campaign's going to be successful, nothing is going to be delivered, and no one is accountable because Mm -hmm. that is how the platform has been defined by the company that runs Kickstarter. Have any of you all had a Kickstarter that you've backed that has not come to fruition and like completely been I've been waiting four years for Far West, maybe five now. Supposedly, have they given any updates? Uh, there was there was a it went dark for a whole year and recently there's been like daily updates about what has been progressing and theoretically I'll have a PDF by August. Okay. But so I kind least... of I wrote it off two years ago and it was just like eh, ten bucks well okay. lost. Well, yeah, but but it, it and it and it totally happens. Like, it, it, what was that RPG Mac that you wanted to do an interview for? And there was some controversy around it because the character sprites had changed completely, and there was some backer feedback that, that was Soul negative. Saga? I think that was Soul Saga. There, yeah, I believe it was. So. It was the RPG that looked way too ambitious to be developed by one guy. I think yeah, that could be because... that could be too many of them, unfortunately. But okay. <laughs> that could okay. Well, that well, here's the thing: there there are there are the RPGs out there that are developed by one guy, and they're using a utility like RPG Maker. And then there are the ones that develop all the pri- uh, proprietary stuff from scratch that don't have a shot in hell of actually releasing. But but that's part of the game of Kickstarter. I mean, you fund the projects that look interesting to you, and hopefully they make it through. And if yeah. they don't, really, the only thing you can do is walk away from it and say. Hey, I only spent ten bucks. Well, right? I mean, obviously, there's some great developers that are really good at putting together not just a Kickstarter page and a Kickstarter video, but also sort of a presentation to go with it. Like, uh, I find it frustrating that there are plenty of games that that are, that are out there. It's like, hey, we've got a demo. You can download it now, and they don't get funded. But some, but Tim Schafer can say, I have an adventure game, and get three million dollars. Yeah, well, it's it's it's. Again, it's a it's a free market, and it's all about clout. And the Tim big... Schafer actually did release his game regardless of the problems he had, and generic RPG such and such that did have a demo may never come out, despite mm-hmm. the fact that budgets may have been screwed up, things like that have happened. You know, there's a difference between somebody that knows how to make a game, whether they're good at budgeting and timing is a different story. Yeah, just just on that note, like there was one RPG, and I'm not going to say the name or the developer because I don't want to, I don't want to shame anyone that might happen to listen to this podcast. But I, I played the demo back when I was at PAX East two years ago, and I was assured that it was going to come out in the next six months. And we did two interviews after that for RP Gamer, and everything's gone dark since it's been completely quiet. I've reached out to him and I haven't heard anything back in terms of the progress of the game. And at this point, at this point, I'm just not holding my breath. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the reality of the situation. Sometimes there are good ideas and there are good assets at play and there are games that have potential, but it's all about that execution. Right. Yeah. And like I was saying earlier, when I was asking about backing projects, there has been only one I've backed, uh, or as it says, I have pledged to 10 different Kickstarter projects, nine of which were games. Only one of them so far was a $15 pledge that I made towards a game back in 2012. They were totally – it was just kind of in the height of 
getting started. There wasn't even the risk reward section yet. They got $11,500 and then proceeded to just do absolutely nothing. You know, as 2013 was their last update, said, hey, we're not, we're not dead yet. They are dead, and they've kind of deleted their Twitter accounts. Yeah, <laughs> gone, gone dark. Yeah, That's yeah. Sketchy right there. Like so, bail out. See, that I'm itself. Oh, sorry. No, no. That itself kind of was the early point on me to say, you know what, I'm not going to back a whole lot of stuff. Once you know, it was early on. The only other thing I'd backed at that time was like Double Fine Adventure because that was the first big one to really get true attention and i was like well i'll i'll back that and just because i wanted to be part of that history (laughs) you know i guess i caught up in the excitement of it like i've only backed two games myself one of them which is cosmic star heroin which you get frequent updates on so you know that that one for sure is is being made the other one i got was a board game actually um now keep in mind it was made by a friend of mine but there was actually a wonderful snag on that one where she was convinced she wasn't going to be able to get them out to people at one point. And, you know, you, you sometimes wonder about the, the risks and the challenges. I mean, a board game in itself, that's got its own complications just for a box, you know, the cards, printing, all that kind of stuff. So when you hit, like, a detrimental snag, there's that moment where, you know, as the person who, you know, kickstarted, you kind of panic a little bit because it's like, oh, I, I gave money. Oh, God, please still be alive. <laughs> I mean, I personally avoided backing a lot of video games, and that's because of a lot of what you guys are talking about. Well, yeah. I mean, those those risks are there for board games too. Oh, wasn't absolutely. there a really wasn't there a really high profile oh, like Call of Cthulhu like oh, one that came to Atlantic City that got that's a cluster crack is what that yeah is. yeah. See, I I personally only well, I mean, obviously you contribute to projects that you have like some degree of faith in, and and you feel confident that it's going to release, or maybe you just really dig the premise. Like I, I've backed Z Boyd, I and I've I've backed Bloodstained and Ukulele and. And um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. What was the what was the most recent one that's really high profile too? Shenmue. Not not Shenmue three. No, that's no. the that's the last one that I remember. That's, that's, that's the yeah. last big one. Yeah. No. Um. But, but but yeah, like you back certain ones that you feel really confidently uh, towards. But well, that's just it. Mine but there's was, still that there there is still that risk. Mine, I mean, mine I, was a personal attachment. Like I said, the board game was made by a friend of mine. So at the end of the day, even if she didn't deliver, oh well, I donated money to her. All right, let yeah. me ask all of you this now, Trent. You said you've backed things that you feel are have potential to succeed. Or, yeah. Well, how how do you phrase that? That you really think will be successful projects? Well, well I think I think there's different criteria. I, I think one of the biggest problems, I, I, I suppose, it's not a problem of Kickstarter because it contributes to uh, a, a, a greater Kickstarter environment per se. But there are a lot of indie developers of all different experience levels, all different mm-hmm. development team sizes that look at Kickstarter as the ultimate solution to all of their problems, right? We, we there have, was that land rush of this is the death of publishing, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and, and the thought is, you know, like I can't get this pushed through a traditional publisher because they would never waste their time on this kind of game. <laughs> I want to release this sort of thing, but I don't know many angel investors myself and or I don't have a lot of my own money to invest. Clearly, the answer is to ask people on the internet, and if they're like-minded, they'll contribute dollars. Uh, but the reality is there are 
tens of hundreds of those type of projects that find their way to Kickstarter. Uh, small teams where no one's ever heard of anyone and they haven't done any particular work for certain games or for certain studios in the past. This is their first outing and they just assume that they're going to get money for their project. Well, there, and there's it, that one famous case of I'm an idea guy and I've got the perfect MMO. Give me a million dollars to hire, hire people to make the work. Make yeah, yeah well, and, and, and this is the thing. like Disaster. Kickstarter has become this uh, entity that to some people looks that lucrative and attractive because we have those occasional success stories of someone wanting to buy a potato salad and getting $76,000, right? Yep. So now, so so it's strange tell me because this, because there is that hope. So so when I say that I back projects that I have faith in completing, part of it is knowing that there are certain individuals attached to those to those pro- projects that have a degree of clout. Okay. Like Iga is obviously a good example of this. Uh, the the people who previously worked at Rare during what I would have called their glory days are an example of this, which was one of the reasons why I ended up backing ukulele. I mean, it's right, it's, it's, about, me. it's about knowing that there are yeah. certain people in the mix that can probably deliver a satisfying project. And it, and in as much as I'm not a huge fan of doing what the rest of the mainstream does. Sometimes when a project floats to the surface of Kickstarter and everyone is contributing to it and it has 3,000% of its goal, I mean, that is still a project that I want to get behind. And it's not just because of the rewards attached to my pledge. It's because I know this is happening and maybe it will be a better game by my being there. That's the biggest thing too is I don't see that at this point. You get the big names that have the 3,000% of their goal and have met all of their stretch goals and have gone way above and beyond what all they're trying to do. At that point, I figure, you know what? I'll wait till the game comes out and I'll buy it then. You don't need my money now. Well, I don't I mean, need there, those there, rewards there drastically enough. Forth. That is toxic thinking as far as Kickstarter campaigns go. Because there, there are always stretch goals. Well, yeah, it is toxic thinking, and that's what I have reached at this point. Because unless you're a small developer that is truly struggling to get there, I don't see the need. You know, somebody like. Zeboid Games or somebody that's doing a smaller project that has a track record that's not just Joe Smith that's coming out of the blue and saying, hey, I'm an idea guy or, you know, I want to I've programmed on the side or whatever. When you have somebody like that, I feel like it's okay to support that group because you've got a reason to back a small individual. Somebody like Iga at this point, you know, in Exiles become go into Kickstarter for everything they have. You've got Shinmu, you've got all these companies yeah. that are just wanting to see if the market is there, and it is. And you know what? I'm no longer interested in backing that market. What benefit is my fifty bucks going to do now that the now that they've got a budget of two million no, to play with? No, it wouldn't do well, now okay, in two or three years. Well, here's here's the thing, Mac, because I disagree with your thinking completely. Uh, there seems, I, and I don't want to use the word elitist, but there seems to be this odd mentality among people who have contributed to Kickstarters in the past that it is a land that should be reserved for small indie people or people who are struggling or what have you. Oh no, I don't. I, I don't see it that. that way. Well, I, I just have no interest in backing I, those. <laughs> I do want to. I do want to address that because there is there is an attitude that high profile projects are drawing attention and money that, away yeah. from the real or, indies, and that yeah, is the, in fact the, factually wrong. 
Okay, well, that, d- disregarding the fact that it hits on that no true Scotsman sort of deal, like well, the, no, the reality—it's not even that. It is literally like they draw in people. Like when the Double Fine Adventure game was on that 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 month, um, gaming Kickstarter backers doubled across the everywhere whole, all, across the whole well, across the whole platform and, and that's the thing like, like it, it, it draws attention to kickstarter the website slash storefront yeah and that's good it, for kickstarter and good for amazon payments uh <laughs> if not necessarily always great for um the, the guys right. looking for money yeah before you finish that thought trend i just want to say that I fully agree that going to Kickstarter for this stuff is great. I have no problems with it directly. I have just lost the interest in backing things directly on there. And, and it's, like it's I said, I've done nine, ten projects on there. Yeah. I don't want to back the big ones anymore because I have no need to. Everybody yeah. else is doing it for me. I'll take care of it on my own later. It's one of those things where it's it's a personal preference, and I mm-hmm. respect that it's a personal preference. We live in a world – like I, I'm sure there have been probably hundreds of thousands of Kickstarter contributors, unique individuals who have all gone to Kickstarter at one time or another and chipped in a few bucks. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind if certain percentages of them decide that they don't want to assist any major developer that has now reverted to using Kickstarter as opposed to traditional publishing uh, methodologies, if you will. Um, but where I come at it basically is uh, there. there's this whole idea in investment where I'm not going to buy equity into a company or I'm not going to help develop or commercialize a certain project or item until I know that there's a purchase order, right? So so it's like me saying, I'm not going to give this company $100,000 for 30% of its shares unless I know that it is able to make a sale, which is why I understand it when Iga and the people who are currently developing Shenmue 3 said, we developed this Kickstarter to demonstrate to our investors that there is interest from the people who ultimately are going to buy this product, mm-hmm. you know, we, that that Kickstarter pledge for Shenmue Three or for Bloodstained is the equivalent, the modern day equivalent of a purchase order. It is about demonstrating to the other people who are at the table that have the finances to help market and promote and publish this game that it is going to be a success, that the market is out there, and that it's worth the time. And the reality is, if it were not for platforms like Kickstarter and for companies willing to come to the table that in the past would never have relied on crowdsourcing, we may not have any of these spiritual successors to series that are cherished by a number of people or uh, actual sequels like Shenmue 3 that well, no one ever, I'm sure, would have thought would have seen the light of day. I, I so, have, I've given up on Shenmue 3 entirely, but that does bring up a point. Do we think that nostalgia bait is crowding out the market for new ideas? Oh, oh! <laughs> in a world <laughs> where every other indie developer is using pixelated graphics because nostalgia, I'm oh. not actually going to sign on that. <laughs> okay, no, granted, I, okay, I'd be willing I to say a lot of people using that. I think nostalgia—they're going beyond the pixelated stuff. Nostalgia being a very real phenomenon that I'm sure we're all very uh, subject to is always exploited in every segment of the market for any reason, providing something can bring in money. That's what they're yeah. going to use. So Anytime I, you see a game announced, they generally say inspired by, you know, 
Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, or, 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 Zelda, or in, you know, in the case of Bloodstained, kinds of names of games that you'll see listed. Do you think that they would have gone and advertised Bloodstained for interest and, and not mention the fact that Iga has created all of these Metroidvania esque Castlevania games? That would have been ignorant to just that would that completely. It, it, not, okay. It, it may not have been is going to do the same thing. Iga always does give him money to do it. Yeah, uh, and as opposed to just saying, "Hey, here's this Ega-ish thing." Oh, BTW's fine when Ega's doing it. Compared to say, um, uh, what am I even thinking of? Um, something like uh, Bard's Tale Four, where mm-hmm. it is just like, "Hey," or Strafe. Strafe is a great example of this. It's like, "Hey, remember shooters from 1995? We're doing that." <laughs> Um, I I see it, it, it's it's like anything like we again exist in a market that allows the consumer to dictate whether something has a place in the marketplace, and I think if if a Kickstarter is successful by hawking nostalgia, more power to them. I I don't necessarily want an environment that relies more on what's been done in the past than what new things could be done in the future. Mm-hmm. But like I said, if there are people willing to come to the table and say, yeah, I'll support that. I want that kind of game. Why yeah, not I'm, let them have that kind of game? I'm absolutely good with getting older projects that aren't getting the traditional publisher treatment. And I'm more than willing to back something that I'm interested in that I think I would like to give a second chance. So I guess my biggest reason for having the attitude I have is at this point, there's not been anything recently that I'm like, oh, I'm dying for this now. You know, I'm not a big, so huge no, Castlevania fan. Yeah, Blood so there's State no Dragon Quest clone sitting there waiting for your dollars for you to shut up. Yeah, if, to shut up and take. Say Yuji Hori decided that he was breaking away from, you know, Square Enix and doing his own Dragon Quest thing and something like that. And he had a big enough support behind him and, you know, NT Creates or Concept, you know, somebody like people doing Mighty Number no. 9 and Bloodstained backing him to do this kind of stuff. Mighty Number no. 9 was the other you know, one that I was say, trying to remember. Yeah. yeah. I would <laughs> jump on something like <laughs> Yeah. I'd jump on something like that if it was, you know, on the platforms that I wanted and things like that. That's you know, that's good. Yeah. But I these huge runaway successes at this point I'm like, "Eh, good for you. I'm glad you're backed. I'm glad people have supported you. I'll gladly talk about it. I'll play the game when it comes out." Awesome. Who knows? Maybe Shenmue Three will get to ten percent of what it costs to make Shenmue One. Yeah, did Project <laughs> so seven million dollars? <laughs> did Pillars of Eternity truly need my sixty-five dollars to make the product that they did, so that I could get a you know a bent boxed copy in the mail of something that had been out for two three months? You know. Maybe, maybe maybe it didn't, and, and you know what? It, it, like I said, it's it's completely your right to decide not to support something, and, and I don't think anyone would begrudge you for not supporting something uh, that you're not interested in. Personally, I'm not a huge Mega Man fan, and I supported Mighty Number no. Nine. I like Banjo Kazooie, but I'm not huge on 3D platforming like some people are. But I supported Ukulele. In my mind, it's less about hotly anticipating a certain release and more filling a queue for future releases. I want, I want a pipeline of sorts of games that I know are going to come out within the next two or three years. 
You know, a, a lot of these kickstarting games, it's unpredictable oh. as to whether they'll ever come out. And sometimes <laughs> they will come out, but it will take a lot more time, uh, more than we anticipate. So I, I, I never, I never get hot and horny for a game unless I know it's going to come out within a short amount See, of time. There's something that I find really problematic, and that is, and I'm going to use Brian Fargo's wonderful company as a great example of this. So you start with Wasteland 2, and immediately months later, we're like, now we're going to do Tides. And then months later from that, now we have um, Bards. And it's like, how about you finish one damn project, then give us the next one to Whoa. show that there is, that there I, should be a sense well, of again, trust in that. I, I, I totally understand why they kept launching new ones. Uh, it's part of about building a development part pipeline where they have money for the next project now that they basically... Um, so uh, Tides gets rolling. Like the the concept team is now out of work from the first Kickstarter. Now we need new concept art, but we have to pay them. So let's kickstart Tides, and yeah, then it's now we, <laughs> and then no, I, I I, I, I just... they're building a work pipeline, and it's totally your decision to not back the second and third projects until project one is in your hands. I think I just I'm just noticing it was just it felt a little rushed to me just how quickly. You know, they jumped to the next project and then to the next project. I mean, Bard's Tale, you know, we're doing a Kickstarter now, and they're saying 2017. Let's be realistic. It's probably going to be 2018. Well, I mean, because delays will happen. And Well, this is also Brian Fargo. And he's it's not exactly, Fargo. He's not exactly someone who's well, good at time. <laughs> look at them. T look at that one, too. It doesn't have near the momentum no. as Tides did and as Wasteland 2 did no, before. No, I mean, it, and you, you know, and I were they're just fortunate barely... enough to go see Wasteland 2 while it was actually, like, just after the Kickstarter had happened. And we had saw actually quite a bit of progress when we actually had gone to NXL Studios. <laughs> and some of that might be them building a nice... Uh, and again, it's it's all about building a studio and a studio work ethic. And as the, far as the... I can tell, all three of those games are built in Unity. Yes. So. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah I, I think they use 3D assets and reskins, basically. Well, I mean, new art assets, but I'm saying the the, the engine they're building it is some sort of Unity variant. Well, which... yeah, I think they I think they still use Unity based objects, and then they just kind of redo the artwork well, to I mean, make it more original. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there's art at there's, there's Unity asset flippers, and there's people who are working with Unity, and I think definitely in Exiles in the latter cat in the latter category, but Unity does make the grunt work of coding a lot quicker, and it makes the grunt work of porting a lot quicker, which yeah. is why we're seeing the the PS4 Wasteland 2 now. I guess my only reason for this So maybe they did really think they could sort of have this shared language and shared set of shortcuts and middleware to start maybe getting that 18-month dev cycle in. See, I guess yeah. for me, I'm in a more different space than the three of you because, like I said, I other than project, uh, other than Cosmic Star Heroin, I haven't backed a single video game. Why? Because I look at I have Max argument, which makes perfect sense in my mind. It's like, why do these big the big companies need my money when they're already a bajillion percent funded? Just as I look at the little guys and the pitch, just most of the time is embarrassing <laughs> that you look at and you go, yes, I realize I'm paying your food and rent. Um, <laughs> You know, like, this happened, actually, and I'm going to use a non-video game example just to kind of show, to move into the, one of your other topics. Uh. Um, so, I'm a big reader of young adult literature. There was a young adult author who, in December, she had a book published. The sales were abysmal, but people wanted a sequel to it. So, she went to Kickstarter, and then when people found out that, um, because she's a writer, 
they didn't want to kickstart the project because lo and behold, we should not be paying your rent and you should be going to get a effing job was what they told her. Not understanding, of course, that as a writer, writing is the job. Is a, writing is a job and it's a solitary thing. So a lot of people went after this woman with this logic of I shouldn't be paying for you know your lifestyle and how you live. Meanwhile, she's trying to explain to them that you know you want this sequel, then I need time to do it, which means I'm sorry. You're paying for things like my food and my rent. Well, and that, and there, there is sort of, um, a, depending on which categories you're sitting in, there is a Kickstarter versus kick finisher attitude. Yes. Where in, um, and I, I say kick finisher because it's it's a phrase that comes out of tabletop gaming where someone can bang out the text for an RPG, you know, living on whatever they whatever savings and whatever side projects, and then. You know, basically go say, hey, I need to pay artists, we can have this out in four months. I need to pay artists and layout and physical production costs, and it's done surprisingly fast. Like, I'm going to get my copy of Feng Shui 2 in a few weeks in, you know, fancy leather cover and bonus dice and all the fun <laughs> stuff that comes with it. Whereas, yeah. again, I'm, it's going to be a good long while before I see my copy of Strafe. <laughs> I'd see... Release dates on Kickstarter are a catch-22 situation oh, for me. Lies, on, damn lies, statistics, and Kickstarter release dates. <laughs> you know, if you want, if you want me to back your project, be realistic, but at the same time, be relevant to you know, not 2017 to when you're going to come out. I'm like, that's eh, two years from now. Do I want to give you thirty dollars for something, even oh. if I trust that you'll do it for something that you're going to give me in two years? And then at the same time, if they were to say, oh, well, it's going to be out December 2015, I'm like, oh, well, I'll back that because it's right around the corner. And then it doesn't come out until 2017. You know, that's, yeah, that's kind my, of what's my, happened. And that's my I'm just like, mm -hmm. well. um, And there is there's there's also a flip side to that where um, there, there's a great dork tower about this where people don't necessarily realize that this big honking uh, Amazon thing on their visa bill at the end of the month is you know, uh, directly connected to, oh, that nifty thing you get six months later. So it does, it encourages some bad behavior, but that's just people who are not good at financial planning, I guess. Yeah. You know, there's, there's one element of Kickstarter that I don't think we've really touched on yet. And that would be, uh, that it's important for, you already mentioned, uh, the concept of putting out multiple projects almost in the same way that big, big, bigger publishers and development houses like to line up contracts with publishers for future game releases, kind of, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, just to keep the, the studio itself alive over a prolonged amount of time. I think the good thing about Kickstarter, as, as far as uh, developers probably stand, is that it allows you to not only collaborate with the market that's interested in your game, but you can pre-sell your game to these people, and hopefully, if they're emphatic about it enough, they will market it to other people so that well, when it is released, you can actually make a splash. Well, it, and it's it, almost and like I, you get to pre-sell it twice because you, you release the early access version. Yes. Your yeah. Well, yeah, it's, but it's like what we do on the site with the Kickstarter reports, because those are great examples of maybe this is a project you didn't see and might actually be worth at least looking at it. We're not saying go and back it, but yeah. it's really nice that when a staff member finds something that they're interested in and says, hey, I'm going to write a report about this because this could be something to our readers that they might appreciate. Yeah. And, and, and it's, those are good it's, things. 
it's, it's important because while some of these games might be in the embryonic stages of development, the sad reality is that there are games out there that are developed by one person or a few people, and they're developed from the ground up, and they're passion projects, labors of love, and the people who create them don't ask for a single cent. They don't use Kickstarter. And then when they release it on Steam, or if they find a way to put it in, in the indie section of your favorite video game console, no one sees it. No one buys it. It doesn't get the attention it deserves. Like the biggest benefit of Kickstarter, as far as I'm concerned, is that ability to develop a community well, surrounding and, your game. And here's and there there is a flip side to that because I'm going to say the worst thing about Kickstarter is the comment section. Oh yeah, well I mean it's it's all, it's a public forum, right? Well, and, it, and the it's reality not a is public forum because only backers get to use it, and even then they manage backers with real names, and they even then manage to be lame about everything. <laughs> oh, like vit- vitriolic, I, I know, but 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 you it's one of those things. It like, and and I mentioned this in in the level grinding column that I'll hopefully have up before this podcast is out it's a race um, trent you're on <laughs> it's it is a race uh that that we've we've created an environment where people who are donating are acting more like entitled stakeholders rather than spectators that have a vested interest uh there there's this expectation that the game needs to progress the way i want it because i gave them my 15 dollars so I, the I, I am deciding the future of gaming right now. So if Shadowrun Returns doesn't do what I want it to, I'm no, going to raise it's, hell. It's, it sounds ridiculous when you put it like that. But seriously, we have people who are giving the equivalent of like a carton of milk in a magazine to, to, to a video game's development. And if a character sprite changes or if a character name changes or if the plot deviates from the original vision, suddenly it's grounds to like request a refund and and publicly bash the game on Twitter. I, I, I would hate to use Kickstarter as a platform personally because I would feel as a developer that I would constantly be walking on eggshells. Well, I mean, you know, God help us if we ever decide to, uh, you know, crowdfund this show. <laughs> for what purpose um improvement of equipment <laughs> yeah like let, let, let's buy mac a microphone i don't know i'm just one of those people who doesn't have an invested interest in kickstarter i mean once in a while i'll peruse the projects to be honest i don't like the culture of it i like the idea that we are helping people fund dream projects and we get to see a reality i mean we wouldn't have gotten a veronica mars movie if it hadn't been well, for kickstarter that well, that's another one that where it was two million. It? I know where it was two million to prove it to some Hollywood people oh, I know. for the other it's like, twenty million. I, I appreciate what it does, but I also am a realist. Where I'm also one of those people where it's like, you know what? At the end of the day, if they put it up on Steam, I'll get it done, and I'm okay with that too because I'm not willing to have investment for however many years it takes. Because I'm not a patient person, and I admit that. I'm not. I am I am so impatient that it's like, to me, Kickstarter would be that, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Tell me you're done. And then when they change to 2017, it's like, I hate you guys. And I would never say that to them, but I, I feel like for me that would be my behavior, and I know it just because I like to consume my media instantly. So for me, it's like, I'd just rather wait maybe pre-order it on Steam if I have that much invested interest, and go from there. And, and I'm okay with that. 
Just as, you know, I, I feel people should be okay with putting, you know, their money where they want to. It's just a shame that people behave like they are stakeholders because that's totally not true. It's like, I'm sorry, if you give somebody $5 for their project, you don't have the right to go screaming at the high hills and treat them like crap if they do something. You don't have that right. Right. Well, you know? it's unfortunate you, that that's what happens. You do have that right. You just really shouldn't do Use that because <laughs> you're not. Yeah. It does you no good. Well, and it, there, there, there. One last thing I think about idiots in the comment section is you can't close those down. Nope. You are stuck. You like as if you create a project on Kickstarter. Even if you're successful, even if you've delivered, that comment section stays open forever. Mm -hmm. Which, oh god, that that just sounds frustrating somehow. <laughs> the, the hilarious thing is, especially with the projects that were cancelled or were successful and never fulfilled, it stands as a monument to failure. <laughs> you know, there's, there's one that I admit I am so heartbroken over, and I, I remember because I talked to Mac about it a couple weeks ago. Which was even yeah. Star, which was made by they were Bioware folks. It just didn't get made. It didn't get funded. It wasn't one that was you know like, up you, and running. You hear and then, nothing yeah. about it, and you're just for me. I was just like, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> like, that because that's a game I would have played. It had, they did their closer argument of we're going to look at alternate fundings and try again, and it's never. Yeah, yeah. Never did, did, that, that. did that happen with that game that was being made by the former Bioshock developers? What yeah. Was it called? Uh, the Black Hand or something like that. Yeah, something like that. It did. The yeah, same thing and it, and it looked promising, but here, there really is a science to molding a well-developed Kickstarter. And it, and and if there's any one company that I think I reported on last year that had the most interesting progression through the Kickstarter cycle, it was Precursor Games with Shadow of the Eternals. Oh yeah. Yeah, the follow-up to Eternal Darkness, right? <laughs> um, that, that was – it was just – like, first of all, like, there really is a science to how much money are assigned to different forms of pledging, right? Because you want to incentivize as, as much you, you want the spending buy. of money. You, you, want, you want an easy impulse at, like, 20 bucks. You want your fry gift. Well, well you, you, want, you want an impulsive buy, but you also want to actually make some money off of the people that are willing to support your project. And, and, and again, it comes back to also positioning the project. So, like, it was the worst possible time for, you know, one of the staff members to be investigated on grounds of child pornography. It was one of the it was the worst was never possible a good time for that. <laughs> it was it was the worst possible time for them to declare that their chief creative officer was uh, Dennis Dyack, who is easily one of the most polarizing people in the video game industry, not only to media personalities, but but to 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 fans of video games themselves. Like he he is known for overpromising and not delivering on games. That's not a good reputation to have on any team. And then there was the question of, can these people actually deliver this game with a skeleton staff of like 10 people? And at the same, and on the flip side, we also have, um, what was it? Godus with Molyneux. Oh my gosh. That game, even today still has potential, but it's been broken. It's been broken ever since it was launched. As far as I'm aware, the person who won the contest with curiosity still has not been able to act as a God within. Oh yeah. Godus. No. Yeah. So, and and that that says a lot of things about that company, that that development house. 
but really, like, I, I remember reading an interview last year that was conducted with Molyneux about how much of a failure and how sad he was after things didn't come together with that game. Um, and the reality is, sometimes you are a failure. And that's probably the harshest thing I've ever said about anyone on this show. But well, if if well, you're going say it to Peter Molyneux, well, okay, well, con- considering considering all the times he's overpromised to us, I don't feel quite as bad. But the, but but again, it comes back to you run a Kickstarter. It's a public campaign. You're asking for funds from thousands of internet denizens and there is a degree of public accountability even if there's no legal or financial accountability through kickstarter yet i think society, the federal society, trade commission is going to maybe crack down on this a little and it, and it may change so that there's a bit more protection for the people who decide to crowdfund but at, at least as of right now there is a social license that needs to be maintained by gamers and spectators and media and the people who agreed to deliver on these projects. And as far as I'm concerned, if you go to the public and you ask for money and they give it to you, you have an obligation to deliver. And when you don't deliver, and I don't care who it is, I don't care if it's Yogg's cast, I don't care if it's Obsidian, if you don't deliver, you get criticized. And that is the world we live in, and that's how it should be, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to say that's Trent's closer because it's strong. Uh, Sam and Mac, anything to finish out your thoughts? That would make a good Telltale game, Sam and Mac. Oh, wait, they've already tried that. <laughs> um, no, as far as Kickstarter goes, I've, like I've said, I have no interest in backing the big guys unless it is something that is truly close. Uh, let me take that back. It's not that I have no interest in backing the big guys. I have no interest in backing games that are 3,000% over their goal. Well, especially if it's not necessarily your favorite genre or type of game, right? Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of these haven't been. There's been very few things that I've backed in Kickstarter so far that have been more than just a passing curiosity uh, and something, you know, like Project Eternity, Wasteland 2, Tides of Numeria, that those games are not something I have a background in, but just kind of getting caught up in it and none of them having released before the next one needed to be backed kind of <laughs> didn't change much. I was like, oh, got to back, got to back, got to back. So I don't, I'm not going to give to those giant projects. I would gladly give to help somebody get over a goal. You know, that's what I would really want to support are these companies, big or small, that are struggling to reach the goal that they've set. Don't mind to back those. Um, if there's a stretch goal for a Vita version, <laughs> you know, well, that's I don't always, mind to... that, That's always going to be Max deal breaker. Yeah, take a drink. Um, <laughs> Expanding that Vita library at home. <laughs> so... I don't mind to support those kind of projects and give those things. There was a a new little project that came out today from a couple of the NIS America folks that broke out on their own, and they're trying to do a visual novel RPG, and they're asking for 50 grand, and that would make the PC version, and they realistically have higher tiers for like the PS4s, 100 grand, and then 225,000 for a Vita version. And, you know, if it came down to it and they were getting close to that, I'd push, you know, I'd give what I could to push over. I just have a hard time backing anything right now. I've got, I've been burned once, 
the other there's three more projects that I'm waiting on. One of them's supposed to be shipping soon. Tides and Cosmic Star Heroin are the other two. Yeah. So I'm not, not I to love men- the idea not, of Kickstarter. Not but. not to mention the amount of money you're spending on amiibos, right? Yeah, that's beside the point. That's beside the point. <laughs> but but you, you 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 heard it first here, folks. If you have a project that's going to Kickstarter and you want Mac support, make a Vita version. And make a physical copy of the Vita version. <laughs> that one, so that, I'm not so that as... he can put it in his home library. <laughs> yeah, that one I'm not as strict on, but yeah, uh, you've got a Vita version and you need a little push to get over that. I'm more likely to back you if I'm interested in your concept. All right, Sam. My level of craps for Kickstarter is still I couldn't give a crap because I'm a horrible <laughs> person. That's fairly be, low. And let's be realistic here. I only pay back projects that are basically book related and I've gotten everything wow. that I've backed for books. And at the same Lame. time I'm I'm Lame I, I I guess I'm the Kickstarter binger. He's, he's the, the junkie. I, I I'm the junkie. It's my it's my amiibos slash books, I guess, is in that I have backed twenty nine projects on Kickstarter thus far. Whoa. Most of those are for tabletop RPGs, most of which I've gotten most of in, them which are kick finishers, as he yeah. described earlier. Like, I, I bet on a lot of sure things in that case. My favorite is dealing with the post people when Scott's not home. <laughs> is this for you? <laughs> well, that that's a that that's another problem. But uh, obviously, I guess, you know, if you want an easy win for me, maybe launch a cyberpunk Kickstarter. Cause I that, feel guaranteed you will get at least $50 out of Scott. I only backed, like, 15 for Dex. I'm just saying. What's like, the most... 208. 208 with this one here. That's the highest amount that's, that you've that's done Scott's for one done. single project. Yes. Yes. Oh, not bad. I was well, real. That, was for, that, that is for uh, 10 hardcover books. Okay. Oh. I, I was really close to getting um, one of those stained glass windows for Bloodstained. <laughs> was real i like my my wallet was itching and i i just <laughs> i couldn't do it to myself well, i need to look up to pay and see how much that shipping is. for that oh, too God, so thanks. another part, 50 part of me bucks. feels I, part of me feels like like kelsey would leave me if if i had to force her to hang a stained glass window somewhere in our apartment it right in the kitchen honestly the kitchen window is the spot for it <laughs> we don't have a kitchen window oh you would then make i have that. no idea where you would put it <laughs> the most I've ever spent is 35 and it was on a full cast audiobook for an author that I absolutely adore. So, and I got that actually early. That was the hilarious part. They were saying like, "Oh, our projected is like February 2014." They had it out December 2013. Yeah. So, some people just... would just get lucky that, you know, and I'm still actually getting stuff even now from that same Kickstarter. <laughs> Which is wow. amazing. Well, um, if, we if I if I if I could say one last thing about Kickstarter, okay. uh, there is one company that treated me really well throughout the whole Kickstarter process. Uh, they were very open with the development process of the game. Uh, all their deliverables were on time. There were constant email communications. They were really helpful in getting me my key for the right system and that is watermelon games when they released pure solar hd and see that one i'm not surprised about you saying that because i've heard the same sort of universal praise across the board for that particular kickstarter yeah. well i backed that one what when did that one get backed i think it was like 2013 oh. yeah two years 2013. ago oh, sorry, no. I am. yeah it's, it's much older 
I backed that one for a physical copy of the Dreamcast disc, and it's oh, well, still waiting. Still not out. Well, <laughs> but, it's but supposed they, to be soon. They just sent an email like last week about it, though. Yeah. And, and I think the Dreamcast was the last version to make its way out the door just because of – it's the Dreamcast. Let's be it's the real. The Dreamcast. <laughs> like, like, let's let's be real, Mac. The system was discontinued in two thousand one. Like, no one knows how to make GD ROMs anymore. <laughs> hey, but you know what? Just even give me my case. <laughs> you know, even so, I mean, I still think that's a very impressive case. Where you know what? You have a developer who's very out in the open, very happy to discuss the project, very happy to help people make sure they get what they need. You know, and that's a good sign. That really yeah. is like to me. If if most people were like that, you'd have more Kickstarter success stories. You'd have more people more willing when you hear about those positive experiences. Let's face it, we all have heard about some of those nasty negative ones. Are people burning what burning their stocks to spite the fans that keep yelling? But going getting back to happy discussions and interactions, we have feedback. There's Ooh. none. There was none for the last one. For the last episode. So my belligerent belittling of everyone who does write in has paid off. I win. <laughs> I'm buying myself a prize. Oh, God, no. We've created a monster. We have, I will figure out how to tame this monster. Just give me some time, guys. Give me <laughs> some time. And if you I guys know, do hear about a divorce, you'll know why. Here, here's the thing. Uh, when I first started writing editorials for the site, Mac taught me a very important lesson. And basically he said, Trent, sometimes you're going to write something that is absolutely on point and hits all the right perspectives. And everyone will and, hate you. And nope. no, no. And no one's going to respond to it because how can you yes. disagree with it? Yeah. You know? And in the case of Bioware and EA – I don't think there's going to be a ton of people that would disagree with any of our arguments. Uh, I, I was so I was sort of hoping for one person to just be completely off base with it, but it didn't happen. So we're going to use this extra time, and we're going to go around the table, and each of us gets to say get one rant in about E3, with one exception: we are not going to talk about the Final Fantasy VII remake because that's next episode. Deal. Okay. Deal. Oh, Mac is so excited all of a sudden. Because <laughs> that was going to be my topic. Awesome. <laughs> so pick something else then, sweetheart. Okay. Y'all go first then. I'm gathering my thoughts. Um, If I had anything to complain about with E3, I think the only thing that I cared about and was disappointed by was Nintendo's rollout. They just really didn't try this year. It's like, here's some puppets, which is about the amount of trying they did. And I came out of that presentation going wow i care about none of this except maybe fire emblem fates but that's because i get to be married in it and i can pick whatever gender i want um otherwise i i came out of it just kind of going okay so we've seen all this from last year and the most exciting part is you needed to add super to super mario maker really that's an announcement that is the dumbest thing ever good look, well, good job nintendo i mean it's it's, it's all personal preference i personally I, I was i was happy to see more of Star Fox for the wii well, u you know what like oh. I'm, I'm not complaining so much about the individual games it's just more the way they presented it the way that they were like you should be really excited for all this stuff meanwhile it was stuff mostly we already knew well, Nintendo has taken a new tack of only showing off things that are that are coming out in the immediate yes, fu- in the immediate future. That. And my rant is kind of everyone else saying, "Oh yeah, 2017. 
No. That's not no. acceptable either. Not cool, guys. I'm going to have to but, watch these same trailers next year. Yep. See, I would I would actually applaud Nintendo's approach, and and I would actually suggest that they should maintain the same approach next year, but just not have an E3 conference altogether. Yeah. Because I think it it, it makes far more sense to continue to expose gamers to what is on the immediate docket and only really tease things like Zelda Wii U or the next Mario game or what have you when it's like an immediate eventuality. Well, I guess you know, my, my, my real like issue two quarter, is... Two quarters time limit sort of thing. I guess my real issue is the fact that they felt this need to still announce their next console thing. It's like, why did you even bother? I get that this is your logic that you, you should be immediately showing new hardware on the horizon or at least mentioning that it exists. But I, I didn't feel like that was necessary and I thought that was kind of silly. It was like, you know what? Just focus on the games, which is clearly what you wanted to do, and that's great. Why bother with that other half there? Like, well, please be excited for this. So, to me, that was more of the issue I had with it. It's I don't like when they're like, we have some new hardware, but guess what? You need to be excited for it later. It's like, just shut up and don't mention it. Just don't. Mm. That's a waste of time. That was almost for shareholders. That was, and I don't care about those shareholders because at the end of the day, it's not just about them. It is about us as well. Well, no, it's a trade show. I get that. But at the same time, it's like, you're showing people, yes, we have new hardware. You should be excited. No. You know what? Just show me the damn games. Give me something to give a crap about. And I came out of there with what? Fire Emblem? Yeah, but that's subjective. And Yoshi. And I know that's, that's subjective. That's... And I'm going completely on a subjective basis here because that's how I roll. Trent. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. For some people, I'm sure Nintendo was fantastic, and they saw all the things that they wanted, because let's face it, Nintendo fans are predictable and easy, and they put their hands in their pockets. Well, except, except for the ones that are like, no, you failed to live up to my exacting... Uh, <laughs> my exact nostalgic my, my exacting specifications, so please, please pay attention to my change.org petition. In uh, fact, I, I am admittedly a liar now that I think force. about it, because I, I, I did squeal for the Yokai watch. Oh, both of you have now, like, you shot down my talk on Final Fantasy VII, and then you've already mentioned the Metroid game. And well, <laughs> I didn't mention Metroid. Meg, please, I'm sorry, please the Metroid elaborate. Abomination. Are you, going, are you going to mention the Metroid game? I'm not going to mention the Metroid game. I was game. actually going to mention the Metroid game. I'll let Trent mention the Metroid game. I'll... While we're on that note, go ahead. Feel free to mention the Metroid game. I'll let you know. Sure. Um, My outrage uh, is not actually directed at Nintendo for the Metroid game. It's actually directed (laughs) at the internet uh, because it's horrible. It's a horrible place. And and if anyone's listening to this while being online, I probably hate you too because (laughs) you're on the internet. Um, Basically... I come from I, – I, I'm one of those people who have played all the Metroid games. I'm very much a fan of the franchise, and I was very happy to see Metroid kind of return to Nintendo's docket this year after such a long absence. I mean, the last time we saw a Metroid game, it was Other M, which no, in my opinion – that didn't it, happen. That, that, no, that couldn't have happened. I like Nothing Other that, M. And, 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 and I know, I know, <laughs> I, I know Scott's going to hate on it, and, and Mac's going to defend it because that's just the <laughs> dynamic that we have here. Um, this is why I said why you said everything is subjective, and you are absolutely right. It is, right. No, it is, it is, I, and I'm not one of those people who hates other M, but but it, it's it clearly isn't a crowd favorite per right. se. There are people who have problems with it. So, in as much as I can empathize with the people who only wanted to see a new Metroid game if it starred Samus Aran and it followed the traditional atmospheric exploration formula of the previous games. 
I think people, uh, and when I say people, I mean the horrendous side of the internet, has forgotten about the concept of a Gaiden or a spin-off title. Because anyone who actually looks at uh, the latest, or the I should say the, the upcoming Metroid game, it is clearly a spin-off game. It is a four-person cooperative shooter with a soccer minigame. Okay? Like, like no one no one's upset when they announced no one was upset about Super Mario Strikers. Well, it, that, that actually it, sounds that, bad. That, I'm in that, I'm in. That, that sounds bad. Okay. Uh, <laughs> My complaint that, is that it's all that's on a the bit different. <laughs> I would say Metroid Soccer. <laughs> that that's a bit different. I, I would actually I would say that um, Castlevania Judgment is to Symphony of the Night what Federation Force is to Metroid Prime, okay? These are games with different gameplay elements. They clearly don't fit in the chronology in a narrative standpoint. And as far as I'm concerned, it's no big deal. I don't feel as though Nintendo has forgotten about the Metroid legacy. I don't feel as though they never plan to have another game starring and no Samus. one's pissed at Atlas for Persona <sighs> dancing all night. No, that's, but that's, that's the thing. That's that. Well, except for Anita Sarkeesian, but like, well, but that's 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 we the don't thing. Go there. <laughs> all, all I'm saying is, right. in my opinion, uh, the latest Metroid announcement was harmless. And okay. that, that really oh, yeah. is the word I would use to describe it, and a lot of people blew it out of proportion, and that bugged me. Yeah. I've got to I've got to touch on that in saying that yes, you are absolutely right. People blew it out of proportion. It is not the next Metroid in the main series or the direction that the series is headed. Let me give the rational complaint about that. It's been dadgum near forever since we've had a Metroid game, especially one on a handheld, with nothing else in sight. You know, like Persona 4 Dancing All Night, there's a Persona 5 in sight. Okay. You know, Zelda Triforce Heroes, there's a Zelda in sight. Those games don't, Metroid doesn't have one. I actually, I'm not going to say that I'm one of these people that's going to start a petition or that think it's an abomination. I will just say what they showed just didn't interest me. I was disappointed that that's all that was there. I will live, and I will just forget about that one until the next, till it comes and goes. I didn't get all bent out of shape over Metroid Pinball or Metroid Prime Hunters. I'll live after this one. I would just prefer something else. The end. I that, that, that's, I just don't want a shooter on three. That, that's a completely that's a completely rational approach. I will say, while we touch on uh, Triforce Heroes, I think that there's going to be more to that than people give it credit for. I think so too, actually. I, I really do. I, I think. I, I, have any of you guys played Four Swords Adventures? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so there was, was an actual kind of fun, and I don't there, like Zelda, so that should tell you something. Now, that that was more competitive than it was cooperative, which which Triforce Heroes actually looks like it's going to be. But there was a narrative to that game, and I would suggest that Triforce Heroes, while it's going to be another Zelda title, I think it's actually going to be a Zelda game. You know, like a legitimate Zelda game. All right, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. But that's where I'm coming from. All right. My brief, my brief complaint, my true brief complaint, and I'll be done with it in two seconds, is when Microsoft came out. Kicked, kicked Sony in the shins and said, guess what, Sony? We're offering backwards compatibility. <laughs> that one was funny. We're bringing this 
and down it's not and really we're showing you well, it, and it, Sam is stealing my story real. and sorry. now everybody else is so period point blank no 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 I'm sorry <laughs> I think I think it's a genuine step forward whereas I don't think anyone at Sony could attempt to emulate that stupid ass architecture on no, the PS3 they're doing, they're doing PS now they're trying to pretend like that's ever going to succeed it's not and but you know, Microsoft came out, made this big deal, and it was great. The fan reaction at the time was fantastic. It was like backwards compatibility, yeah. And then when you finally saw what was backwards compatible, it's like barely fifteen games. Well, the same I mean, thing happened with the Xbox three sixty though. Do you yeah, guys remember thing. that long ass licks? Yeah. Like like it was legit like twenty percent of the original Xbox's library could play on an Xbox three sixty. Well, and I almost hope it's a bit like that case of Xbox to three sixty where it's emulating certain engines rather than specific games. So, like, you know, once they get Halo cracking right, you know, a half t- like half the Barbie games also work for the, <laughs> the Xbox One. And it just doesn't make any sense. Well, but bar- half still, the Barbie games were clearly they the Halo work off the same engines. You know, yeah. it's a good step. I think the jab at Sony was deserved because PS Now sucks and they've not done anything to try to improve it and it was just more of a sad whimper when you saw the reality of what was actually out there so hopefully it becomes more than that and they actually get a lot of the games that they're wanting to put out I actually like I remember seeing that announcement and not being thrilled at all am am I in the minority in thinking that backwards compatibility is like not a very well used function on any console yep um, it like, was for, for me back in the day. In the PS2. days of the PS2, maybe. Yeah. But like, ever since, like as soon as we got from like the next generation moving forward, I just mm-hmm. backwards compatibility isn't really a thing. And and what like I, I know that they removed the chip from the PS3 because it was expensive and it was adding to the overall cost of the system. But Sony also mentioned an important point when they removed it, and that point was that all the statistics they had suggested that people weren't really using the feature. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a bonus for some, but I think there's a lot of retro games. I don't think it's a are, selling point. It's it's not a selling point well, anymore. Especially when a lot of them are being ported as classics and whatnot, and I'm I'm okay with that. I mean, we got Speed Code in three. I think now Europe can play it. Like, I mean, this is it. Is I think there are retro gamers who are going to keep their consoles running no matter what, and I think. There are a handful of titles that people aren't going to mind buying a few times over the course of their lifetime. The same way there are record collectors that don't mind, say, buying Led Zeppelin 1. I've bought Led Zeppelin 1 like three times. I don't know about you. Nope. Okay. (laughs) I admit I have, let's see, two copies of every Atelier game except for Iris. And two copies of Suicoden 2. And two (laughs) copies of Suicoden 1. Because in, in my mind, for example, with something like Speed Code 2, I felt, me personally, that was an important release to support. Because it kind of showed Konami with stats that, hey, people wanted this, you dumbasses. And now look, it's like, oh, we care about Speed Code again. Oops. Well, well, well Konami's just Konami, a snowflake, we know. Different episode, whole yelling thing. Kettle of fish, yeah. Kettle of fish. <laughs> can, I, can I actually say one last thing about E3 that made me sort of happy but made me upset with the internet? This is the first year we've actually had a lot of ladies fronting in games, and I am super stoked about it, but I couldn't believe how fast the internet was like, oh my god, why are there so many girls? Like, Because why not? Because why on, not, like, internet? I am so excited for Horizon. I am. 
I don't oh, it looks it looks amazing. It looks yeah. so yeah. much fun because you get to fight dinosaurs as a hot redhead who looks okay, like a no man. They're they're dinosaur mechs, which dinosaur makes them that mech. much more. That bad. is literally forty seven percent more awesome, right? Even yeah. so, you know what? Yeah. I get to be a hot girl. I get to fight dinos. That's rad. Okay, I get to play another Laura Croft game where I get to yell at everybody that Laura Croft is totally a lesbian, and she is. I'm sorry, we don't fight me on this. And I'm no, because so in my head, Sam is a beagle. <laughs> She's a dog. <laughs> There's an editorial coming that'll explain that in more detail. But it, just imagine if just if you replay Tomb Raider 2013, replace Sam with like a beagle puppy. <laughs> Alrighty then. I'm just saying, I am super happy for all the lady-fronted games. I hope we see more of them, and I hope that people start to get okay with this, because I do think it's going to be a new norm, no matter how much men want to fight it. Well, we those okay guys are it. wrong. I mean, I was so excited. I mean, I know it was silly during the Bethesda conference when they're like, and yes, you can be a lady. It's like, Well, there, there have been rumors going around that you couldn't. And that's not cool. That was not cool. But you know, And I like the way that they did it. I like the way that it's like, you know, you have the two of them in front of the mirror, and then you can just switch to the lady, and everyone was cheering for that, and I'm thinking, you know... Maybe you've got this coming in game industry. Maybe you're slowly learning. And then people were just like, women are too hard to animate. And I'm just like, oh, stop this. So that's people my other... My other Ubisoft literally game. couldn't animate anything that year, so... Kind of fair. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, Unity was a pretty big mess. All right, so uh, that that's our episode for the month. Uh, obviously, rate, comment, subscribe, oh, and buy me a beer. I don't know. <laughs> Support our Kickstarter to buy us all beer. Matt won't want your beer, but he likes Amiibos. Okay, yes. Matt can use beer money for step. Amiibos. I'll take your beer. That's cool. Yeah. I like <laughs> all kinds of things. I'm pretty easy. Oh, and obviously the San Marcello fan club is still running. Uh, no, just send send trade nine ninety five. Nine ninety five. It is. I can say as treasurer that it is indeed running. Although right now we currently have a shortage on pens with tassels so that you can wear them around your neck. But we will be ordering more. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I never agreed to this fan club. You know that, right? No one agrees to their own fan club, Sam. That's not how fan clubs work. Later. Exactly. <laughs> All right. The Active Topical Banter Show is an RP Gamer production, all rights reserved. Visit rpgamer.com for contact info, discussions, and other great content. Music by Nubuo Oematsu, arrangements courtesy of ocremix.com. Ethics, ethics and game consumption. Nah, I just truthfully, I know that's just not my kind of game either. And I, like, I keep thinking about it, and I'm like, I'd love to try it, and there's that other half of me that's like, no, I'm going to be miserable the whole time. The whole time. It's probably not a good combo. No. Oh, hey, look, the notes. Yeah, yeah. there's notes. Notes in your pants. Hi, guys. Hi, Trentor. What's up, Trent? Trentacol. <laughs> what Trent is up? Trentosaurus. <laughs> Uh, I'm just in my room talking to you guys on Skype while Kelsey's in the other room watching Friends. Sup, Kelsey? We miss Kelsey. I have a new well, new printing. I'll, I'll I'll throw her on at the end of the. Podcast.
podcast. Yeah, she's my favorite. Either you've developed a stutter since the last time we've chatted, or I'm cutting out when I'm hearing you talk. I'm not sure. I'm. Uh, he had. He has maritime internet. It's a recurring issue. <laughs> maritime internet. Yeah, that that is a problem. You know. Do I sound? You, you know why? You know the lag is just trying to play nice with that half hour later in Newfoundland thing. <laughs> That's how you're justifying it. Seriously though, do I sound bad? No, you're just kind of. There, there's some weird speed up or cutout issues on occasion. I think we can probably. It was just a second ago. It may not be a consistent. Thing. It, it may end up stabilizing as the conversation goes on. Just uh, double check what's drawing your internet. If you can maybe shut something down. Hopefully, is that okay if I turn Netflix off? You did it without asking, so I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have. Perhaps you should have been polite about killing Netflix. Well, I just, I just didn't want us to sound horrible. Oh no, he did it, and then said, "Is it okay?" If I <laughs> <laughs> uh, romance, romance, love a dub dub. See, I'd hate to think what would happen if Mac were to somehow uh, ruin Crispy's TV watching experience. Don't even. Like if he just pulled the plug on Dancing with the Whoever's. Thankfully, she doesn't watch any crap like that. <laughs> That's good. Hey, Mac, are there amiibos that you need? Because apparently our local indie game store, he got all the amiibos somehow. All the amiibos. Like, we crapped um, man. He totally, like, posted a picture. He's like, look, I have all the amiibos at work. And we're like, that's a lot of amiibos. No, I've got until September. Zero Suit Samus comes out officially in North America then, and I will pick that one up and be happy. Or not be happy. I don't know. I amiibo for my birthday, according to Becky. I don't know what it is. Hmm. But she apparently got me an amiibo. I'm like, hmm, now means I'll have two. I'm not going any further. You say that now. I've been. All I want is Rosalina. Nobody, nobody gets Sam Rosalina. Well, it's a Tarjay exclusive. We're kind of boned. Ah, uh, Tarjay. Nobody also would make her in baby form for me. All right, time. All right, we're gonna talk about stuff. Yeah, we are gonna talk about stuff. This should be fun. I just, I know what Trent's gonna say about everything though, because I just read something about all of his <laughs> thoughts on it. Oh. Yeah, he read the draft of Currents, so it it ha- I, I happened to write a fairly long article on um, how people who kickstart are not investors oh, yeah. and they're and they're just donators, and you'd have to be kidding yourself to think otherwise. Well, and a lot of people pe- are. People are really but good at kidding. That sounds like uh, that's going to be the episode. So everyone peed. Yes, I've got a laptop, so I can go if I need to anytime. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough, Michael. Everyone's pants off. Yep. Oh, I tweeted it, though. <laughs> you can't forget the, the important part about telling everybody on the internet that you have no pants on. Key. It's key and core I have, element. I have my of... pretty Laharl, apparently, this week to talk to. He sits under the microphone better. He's not a big sis. Yeah, well, he he's a little more angry and assertive about the fact that you should be talking to him. Whereas Big Sess is too forgiving, I find. I suspect. It's okay, Scott. When I run to the sun, I tormented Adrian for days after I got that Big Sis plushie from now. He was not happy with me. 
Aww. Speaking of now. What up? What's up with my now girl? Let's start now. Okay. <laughs> you know, I blame Matt Indeed. partially for that. Dibs. I, I, I take blame on that. Yeah. Ah, it's all good. Well, you all have a good evening. You too, <laughs> sir. All right. Trent. Stop. Kelsey, are you okay? <laughs> yes, Trent. <Do> I... <laughs> Do I need to hurt Trent for you? Do no, I need to... <laughs> He's putting his phone in my face. Go away. Needs to go back and let her watch more friends. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. It's such, it's such a hard life that she leads. <laughs> you stole oh, friends' time. How dare oh, you? Oh, by, by the way, we're releasing a new video of Date Night Gaming this week, so Yay! hopefully you all watch that. I, I have been watching it. Which game this time? Is it a surprise? Uh, it's spoilers? Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Oh. And we are horrible at it. Well, Donkey we Kong is so bad. Hard. Donkey it Kong is hard. really hard. It's right. It's really hard. Donkey Kong has always been hard, and that's one of my Nintendo franchises that I love. See, I may be hard on Nintendo, but that was one I, I shit you not. Other than Tropical Freeze, I own every entry. You should get Tropical Freeze. It's 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 one of those games like you play it and you you can tell how good it is, but you will not be good at it. I, it's one that it's more of a I need uh, money. I want to like buy it a little cheaper and that? stuff. Was that the DS? Did you break the DS, no. baby? <laughs> You're in the doghouse. It's okay, um, Scott's in the doghouse every uh, other day. Here's a fun fact, though. When we were recording, we started playing The Evil Within because yeah. for our second episode, I was going to have Kelsey play that because she's a scary she's a scaredy cat, and I wanted to kind of spectate and comment as she was playing. Um, and it's hilarious. Like, we had to quit, like, 15 minutes in to play Tropical Freeze instead because she just couldn't handle it. It's okay, Kelsey. <laughs> you're not alone. I like them. I just prefer to watch because I get too scared. I had a friend who used to make me play survival horror games for her. Like she loved horror games, but Catch she you couldn't all play them. Bye, Mac. Oh, bye, Mac. We love you. Thank you for going oh, over the column. Too. I appreciate it. No problem. Good stuff. Good.